Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Hi. Nice to see you. Ah, so, can you hear me okay? Is this okay? So here we are. Oh, and Mark, are you uh, going to be recording or carry? Yeah. Okay, great. So here we are spending uh, a day exploring equanimity, a very good mental quality to have in any time, but uh, I have a feeling for many people, at least the people that I've been hanging out with lately, particularly these days, uh, equanimity is um, a very good ally and friend for going through times of uncertainty, times of apprehension, times of um, upheaval. Um, How many people feel an extra special motivation to explore equanimity these days. Okay, I'm not alone. So we'll be doing a a day of uh, of practice uh, and weaving into the practices uh, various ways to incline the mind and heart to equanimity, uh, both on the cushion or chair or bench, uh, and in our life, because um, it's, it's more than just finding some balance and space when you're quiet, uh, when, when the, the rubber meets the road is when you really need it, when our lives are, um, are getting uh, out of balance. So I want to say a few words about equanimity in general, and, uh, and then we'll go into, uh, into the practices. Mm. If you're familiar with the lists, and there's loads of lists, if you're not familiar with these teachings, lots of lists, uh, equanimity is in many of the lists, the classical lists of mental development, um, and it's always the last in the list. All the lists that I know that it's part of, it is uh, the last of the the four divine abodes or Brahma Viharas. There's loving kindness, metta, karuna, compassion, mudita, sympathetic joy, and then upeka, equanimity. It's the fourth one. In the um, Seven Factors of Enlightenment, it's the last one. There's mindfulness and investigation and energy and joy and calm and concentration and equanimity. In the Ten 
perfections, I won't go through them all, but the ten perfections of mental development, the ten paramitas, uh, which include generosity and uh, conduct and patience and many, many things, the last in that list is equanimity. In the uh, four absorption states, uh, the jhanas, the fourth jhana, is uh, um, highlighted with equanimity. In the 12 stages of insight, progress of insight, just before one becomes awakened, enlightened, equanimity is the precursor to awakening. And a few others besides those. So you get the idea. Uh, it's, it's the culmination it's the, it's the quality that holds all the other qualities and that one is developing and, and building and uh, really um, a very profound state that uh, is a precursor to awakening. Because we can have oh, loving kindness and caring for the world and uh, and joy and all of those other wonderful qualities, but um, equanimity is what balances it out, what creates a sense of grounding and spaciousness and inner harmony and peace. <clears throat> so this is something that in our life holds all the ups and downs of our life and gives us a kind of grounding and a way to hold everything that that we're going through in our life. So the word equanimity, as uh, you can hear in the uh, in the root, equipoise or equilibrium, is about balance. And as I said, in the, the factors of enlightenment, it's uh, it's the it's the last of the the three qualities of uh, of those factors have to do with stilling, coming to stillness. The, in the factors of enlightenment, I'll just mention that list. There's mindfulness, and then there's three energizing qualities: investigation, and energy, and joy. And then there's these stilling qualities. Calm, this is the way I think of it, calm is a kind of settled stillness, where just things are kind of settling down. It's so beautiful, mm, nice and undisturbed. Concentration is a kind of focused stillness. And equanimity is a, a stillness born of spaciousness. There's all the room in the world. It, it doesn't, it's not trying to keep everything very uh, unperturbed, but there's a spaciousness that can hold it all, hold all the ups and downs. So in equanimity, we're not trying to find some miraculous place that you can just land in and say, ah, now I got it. It's kind of like riding a bicycle. You know, if you, 
you can't ride a bicycle and say, okay, this is how I'm supposed to stay exactly balanced. I go right in the center. You're going to fall in a moment. But equanimity is a, a continual adjustment that sees the circumstances and can, uh, can create a sense of, of, um, of balance in the middle of them. And there's a number of different ways that we can cultivate it in our practice and also um, in our daily life. You can't try hard to be equanimous. It, it works against you. you. You know, just imagine you saying, "I'm trying really hard to stay balanced." It, it's a kind of contradiction, because if you're trying hard, just that effort is uh, an energetic agitation. So rather than trying hard, there's a kind of um, ease and relaxation that comes with having, seeing the big picture and seeing that, um, that I, I can find a place of spaciousness and openness that allows the unfolding and can meet it wisely. So rather than trying hard to be equanimous, there's a kind of inviting, appreciating that, inclining the mind, as, as the saying, as the, the phrase is often used in the teachings, inclining the mind or inclining the heart towards balance. Mm. Just like you're, if you try to attain any particular state in the meditation, which can easily happen, especially if you have had a sweet meditation experience. You ever have a, a really delicious meditation experience? Say, oh, wow, how do I get that one again? Let's see, I did this, and I counted the breaths for three times, and then I did this, and I hope it works. Whatever experience you have, if it's sweet, don't miss it. Enjoy it. But don't hold on to it. Because it's impermanent. So rather than trying to achieve any particular experience, since it's all impermanent, no matter how good it gets, it's going to come and it's going to go. No matter how difficult or challenging it is, it comes and then it's going to go. So equanimity is, rather than trying to attain some particular experience, knowing that everything is coming and going and coming and going, then you see, oh, the game is about being here for the ride being here for the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs, just knowing that it's all passing, it's all life unfolding, 
there's more of a sense of spaciousness that not only allows for that unfolding, but meets it wisely and knows with confidence that things will change no matter how difficult they are and also knows with wisdom that things will change no matter how good they are. So there's more of a sense of lightening up on the control that you never had in the first place. Oh, okay, I can let go a bit. And so really meet this moment wisely. And so there's wisdom in equanimity and there's a connection in equanimity. One simple mm, classical uh, uh, teaching that I'm sure most everybody here knows, not from the Buddhist tradition, from the Christian tradition, is the serenity prayer that says, grant me the courage to change the things I can, the serenity to accept the things I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference. So equanimity is about that serenity to accept the things I can't change. And maybe serenity might be a little bit of a stretch these days if there's some real agitation, but a sense of spaciousness to respond wisely to the things that I can't change. Because if things are the way they are and you can't change them, then you have two choices, either wishing they were different and getting really frustrated and freaked out about it and, and agitated and fearful or trying to manipulate your experience, or somehow coming to terms with what's here and then responding as wisely as one can. And I'm all in favor, and we'll get it into this later on in the, in the day, about doing what you can to change the things that you can, not equanimity, the, the near enemy of equanimity, what is disguised as equanimity in, the, in these teachings. They're called near enemies of wholesome qualities. Uh, and the near enemy of equanimity, what looks like equanimity but is very different, is um, indifference, apathy, you know, or whatever. You know, every every hear uh, somebody say whatever, but they're really saying, you know, oh, gosh, I I feel like strangling their neck, but well, whatever. Okay, I won't won't. Uh, won't let it get to me. Or if you've been around teens, that's one of their favorite words. You know, Whatever. That's not equanimity. Equanimity really is connected and cares, but knows that, um, that things will change. And so how can I respond wisely in this moment? So we'll... Uh, we'll we'll keep on exploring in in various ways this uh, really profound uh, quality of mind and heart, um, but we'll do it also 
in the meditation, and uh, we can start doing that right now. Mm. How many people, um, is anybody new to meditation practice? And uh, Okay, a couple of people. All right, so then I'll, I'll just uh, give you a, a little bit of um, some instructions, and then we'll We'll go sharing. Uh, we'll share some uh, some quiet together and uh, incline towards equanimity. So, the basic idea of the meditation is to simply notice what's happening right now in this moment, without holding on to the pleasant experience, without pushing away the unpleasant experience, but just being here for this moment. Whether it's knowing that you're breathing or knowing here's a sound, or knowing here's a sensation in the body, or knowing, oh, here's a feeling, here's an emotion. <clears throat> and that's basically it, to know what's happening without judging your experience. This is easier said than done, because the mind likes to wander a lot. If your mind doesn't wander, please come up and speak to me. Um, um, so the key moment as we as we start doing the, the, the meditation, um, one particular moment where you can practice equanimity, uh, a kind of friendliness with the way things are, is when you realize that your mind has wandered, don't judge it. It's just what minds do. Don't take it personally. Simply notice and instead of feeling frustrated that your mind has wandered, appreciate that you've just woken up and seen, ah, here we are again. That moment where you realize your mind has wandered is the key moment to the whole meditation practice. Because if you're saying, oh, darn, there I am wandering again, get back here and do this right you can hear the agitation and the frustration that just uh, keeps you off balance. But when you realize you've been wandering, you've been thinking, and notice, ah, here I am back again. I've just woken up. And if you can bring your attention back in a very kind and loving way, then you're starting to bring some balance to your relationship with your mind. You're not taking it personally. You're not getting into a judgment about it. There's a kind of okayness with the moment. And that okayness is really a, um, a key component of equanimity. One way of thinking of, of it is uh, just to notice what's actually here, that thing, this is the way things are. Oh, mind wandering, or, oh, thinking about something and feeling sad, or apprehensive, or having an itch on my nose, or whatever is happening. Ah, this is what's happening now. It's like this, as one uh, wonderful teacher, Ajahn Sumedho, says, oh, it's like this. That's what this moment is like. So, as we uh, start the practice, We'll do a little bit of meditating here. And um, our first practice in equanimity 
is just letting things be the way they are. So, particularly around your mind that wanders, oh, wandering mind is like this. Or, itch on my nose is like this. Oh, this is what's happening right now. No wishing it were different. No agenda for what you think is supposed to happen, but just letting this moment be the way it is. Any questions on that? Okay. Now, you might think, oh, well, you know, shouldn't I be... Yes, here's a question. What about the itching and discomfort? Okay, so here, here's, again, um, there's a... There's a practice between letting things be the way they are or doing something about them. Okay. If you can, just for the fun of it or for the challenge of it, let it be how it is and be interested in allowing this moment to be how it is. If you can be balanced about it, like say an itch, We've never lost anyone to an itch, by the way. You might think, I'm going to die if I don't scratch this itch. Just see. Oh, I wonder if I'll survive. Mm. And even more, oh, let's check out what an itch is. Wow. Oh, it just moved. Oh, look at that. Where did it go now? So you can just be interested in it. If it's a, a, a real discomfort, you might for a few moments just explore. Oh, what does this feel like? Oh, it's tight, it's pulsing, it's throbbing. And as long as you can be balanced and interested with it, then you're practicing equanimity in the middle of an unpleasant experience. At the point that it becomes, if it does, become a struggle, saying, this is not working, my mind is getting really contracted, I need to take care of my body in this way, then wisdom says, okay, time to move. But rather than moving out of frustration, you're moving out of wisdom okay, time to move and making it like a meditation instead of, oh, I can't handle this anymore. Just, okay, let's be very, very attentive. I move a little. Oh, and then the discomfort eases. So you're being present and taking care of what you need to take care of. But before you do that, see if you can be with something in a very balanced, curious way. Okay, any, any other questions before we start? Okay, so th with this first instruction, as a support for developing equanimity, it's really a relief to let go of the agenda that you have to have a great meditation. Let go of being the meditator. I'm going to have a... Uh, I spent this day and this money and 
I'm going to really get my, my money's worth, so I better have a good meditation. Oh, don't put that pressure on yourself. Just let it be however it is, and there you are practicing equanimity from the get-go. Okay? All right, so with that in mind, and maybe we'll sit for... Um, about 15, 20 minutes, okay? So I invite you to first close your eyes. If you're feeling very sleepy, then you can have them open, or if you're used to sitting with eyes open, then you're welcome to do that. Otherwise, just close your eyes gently. Feel your body sitting here, connected to the earth. That can be a really wonderful grounding and support. Just feel the earth support you. It's here for you. And let your posture be an expression of both alertness and dignity, like Thich Nhat Hanh says, think of yourself like a mountain, strong and worthy of respect. Here for any changes in the weather. And at the same time, a sense of ease and receptivity. So if there's any places of tension or holding, just uh, invite them to soften. Your face, down through your neck and shoulders and torso, chest and belly and hips and pelvis, and down through your legs, all the way down to your feet and toes. You might actually um, sit with a, a soft smile on your face, another Thich Nhat Hanh suggestion. This also helps to bring about some equanimity that creates some space in the mind and the heart. So just a slight upcurling of the lips like you have seen on Buddha statues. Be a Buddha here for whatever arises. And then you might take a few deeper breaths as you begin and breathe in a calming energy. Let it fill your whole being. And then as you breathe out, relax and let go. And then let the breath find its own rhythm. Let the breath breathe you. Let yourself be breathed. No controlling, no agenda. And you can rest your awareness in the breath as a place to just connect and uh, relax in the present moment, just knowing that you're sitting here breathing.
Don't try hard. Simply let yourself be interested in sitting here and knowing you're alive and breathing. You can make it like a game. And while you're attending to the breath, let the mind be very relaxed and you don't have to push anything else out. There might be sounds in the background or sensations or thoughts or feelings. Just let them all come and go in a spaciousness of mind and know that you're sitting here alive as a a place to relax and rest your mind. And remembering in this development of equanimity with this first meditation, a key attitude is just letting whatever is here be here. It's like this, just letting things be as they are. If your mind wanders, no big deal. Just bring it back and allow it to be just however it is.
if you notice that the mind has wandered. No judgment. Very kindly come back to this moment. Just let things be as they are. You showing up with a sincere intention to be present. That's enough.
let go of trying to make anything happen happen and just as best you can be interested in what's happening right now if your mind wanders bring it back once again begin in this moment Last minute or two, just allowing this moment to be as it is, collecting your attention in the present, noticing what's here in an interested, balanced way.
Hear the bell, notice the hearing, and then let the transition coming out of the stillness be a gentle, mindful, And now is, as far as practice, another element in, in equanimity is when the meditation ends, <clears throat> which is another key moment in our practice. Because when it ends, there's often some kind of report card that we give ourselves, how we did or didn't do. Oh, I was spaced out or so sleepy. Or, hey, I think I'm pretty good at this. I'm kind of natural. And what do you know? And let go. Let go of that. And let go of your ownership of the experience. It was what it was. And here is the practice of just letting it be how it was without taking it personally, either giving yourself a gold star or an F or whatever. Oh, it was like this. Oh, it was sleepiness this time. Oh, it was present this time. Whatever is, it was is just what it was. That's the, the attitude of equanimity. You do the best you can. You show up the best you can. And then just let go of the agenda or the control that you didn't have to begin with. Ah, okay. All right, so we're going to do walking in a moment, but before we do, any question about the, uh, the sitting part, anything that might have come up? Okay. Oh, yes? Yes. Yes. Right on. So in order to have balance, she realized that, uh, that gentle, gentleness was an important attitude. You are right on. So I'm, I'm glad you discovered that for yourself uh, because in order to just allow, it's this quality of allowing, uh, there is exactly this quality of gentleness, friendliness. Uh, there's a, a loving quality 
that supports equanimity. Because equanimity, in order to have that spaciousness, there needs to be a relaxation and a, a non-contraction, a non-contention with the moment. And the heart of that is a gentleness. It doesn't mean wimpiness. You can be really strong and determined and committed, but with an underlying friendliness to the moment and a, and a kindness to yourself. So particularly around the meditation, uh, gentleness or kindness, whatever word relates you relate to, or friendliness, uh, that allows that kind of um, softening of the contraction and then you can go in in a very interested, deep way. But it comes from that sense of, of ease and openness. Okay, Any, anything else? Yes. Want the mic? The near enemy of the Brahma Viharas. Here, why don't you actually uh, here, use that? Yeah. Um, you mentioned the near enemy of the Brahma Viharas, and for Rupeka, it's apathy or indifference. Yes. And that reminded me of the far enemy, which is reactivity. And one way I've always understood equanimity is being mindful of not being, trying not to be reactive or overreactive. Not being reactive or lessening the time we spend in being reactive or overreactive. Yeah, so lessening the time of reactivity as a as a support for for the Brahma Vihara. Yeah, in equanimity itself, this is you're practicing not being reactive. That's exactly what you're doing. You're just seeing okay, this is the way things are. That is the definition of not being reactive. But you're, you're just cultivating it consciously, allowing things to be the way they are. Allowing your mind to, to, to have wandered instead of getting frustrated by it. In that moment, you're practicing that non-reactivity. As you do it in the meditation... You're planting the seeds for that to be more and more how you can open up to your experience wherever you are. Actually, it's been shown that mindfulness, which really is a uh, is cultivating equanimity. In every moment you're mindful, you're not grasping at the pleasant, you're not pushing away the unpleasant, you're simply seeing how things are. It shortens your reactivity. Uh, and it's been shown, there's this, uh, this phrase called um, um, refractory period that uh, Paul Ekman coined, where you are, you know, when you get triggered and you're lost and you're going, and you're kind of out of your mind, as it, sometimes we say, I was just out of my mind. Yeah, and you, are, you have lost it. While you're in the middle of that, there's not much you can do. You're gone. And at some point, you might come back to your senses and like, whoa, okay, where was I? 
as you practice mindfulness, it's been shown that that um, length, the length of that refractory period shortens over time, where you're not lost for quite as long. You know, I, I, I sometimes say, I've been doing this for many years, and you press the right button, I can be back in third grade, you know, judgmental, impatient, and insecure, whatever. But what has changed dramatically is I don't get lost for that long. And there's a part of me that comes back and says, wait, there's another way. That reactivity gets shorter and shorter, just in the development of mindfulness. And particularly if you have, as a basis for your mindfulness, practicing letting things be the way they are. You're developing it right in that moment. Okay? Yes, one, one last one, and then we'll do the uh, walk here right, right up front. terms that I find helpful uh, not necessarily starting with not necessarily starting with uh, an intellectual view but the intellectual recognition or acknowledgement that what is has already happened it's it's in a way it's in the past mm -hmm. um, it already exists so any wish for other is simply crazy um, it's delusional <laughs> So acknowledging, recognizing that things are the way they are is very present tense. And then the attitude that goes with it, for me, the word that helps is accepting it. Um, allowing it just has a little bit of, you know, as if I have volition <laughs> mm -hmm. over what already is. But just accepting it um, with that kind of built-in logic of it already is. Excellent. Yeah. That's, and there's, you, you will maybe come up with your own um, support system or reminders or wisdom to yourself that can hold things as they are. And what you're saying is absolutely true. The, the, it's already happened. There's this moment, okay, how do I relate to the fact of what has happened you know, there's that, that, great, uh, that great line, forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. And that includes from 20 years ago or two seconds ago. Oh, my mind wandered. Okay, if you wish that it hadn't wandered, it's wandering again. You're missing out on what's here right now. But if you say, oh, that's the way things have been or were. And now, can I be here in this moment in a friendly way? Excellent. And for you, allowing or accepting resonates more. Find the word that resonates for you. Sometimes, for me, accepting can apply a kind of res uh, imply a kind of resignation. So words have power, and see what words work for you. Uh, there, in in allowing, it's true. There's it a kind of like you don't have control anyway, but it's kind of giving internal permission instead of having an agenda. So whatever words really support you is, uh, is going to be skillful. Okay, so now we'll uh, do a little bit of a walking uh, practice. It's good to move your bodies and uh, do uh, both 
practicing in stillness and practicing in movement. So um, we'll take about 20 minutes or so. And uh, this is what I'd like you to do. The walking instructions, if you haven't done them before, are very simple to just walk and know that you're walking. How many people like to go for walks here? Oh, good. Then you have just what you need. You don't need to make this a, a slow walking contest. You know, although if you've done walking on retreat, it can be very interesting to go slowly and just see each step, but you don't get extra points for going slowly. I know what it's like to go very slowly and have my mind a million miles away. So it's not to look good or to see just how, how, how slow motion you can go. Go at whatever speed helps you be connected and interested. And uh, it's, you know, we've got some clear skies right now. Let yourself enjoy being here. And here's just the little equanimity spin to it. So when you're walking, you're, you can find a lane of oh, 20 or 30 or 40 steps and you can walk and uh, just feel yourself walking. And then when you get to the end of that lane, you can turn back and go back. That's one way to do it. Or you can just go for a walk around the grounds. We're not going to blow our samadhi on a, you know, a, a short day long. Don't worry about it. The, the main thing is to be here for your experience, to just walk and know that you're walking, which is different than how most people go for walks. When you, when you go for a walk, usually you're just letting your mind relax and, and, and just uh, meander where it does, which is a wonderful thing to do. But this is just a little extra tweak where you're here for your experience. And one way you can kind of make a game of being here is just exploring, oh, what you like about walking. Hmm, I like the, the air on my cheek or the, the, the smells in the, uh, of the bay leaves or whatever it is, just to let yourself feel what's going on. Oh, I like moving the body. And just being interested, I, I, I like to have the attitude that like I'm a baby taking my first steps and just letting myself explore with curiosity what walking is. And then with the equanimity, this extra little component, which is letting things be just the way they are. Instead of wishing Gee, it would have been nice if it was sunny out today. It's a little overcast. A few degrees warmer would, would suit me fine. You know, Let go of that. And just for the fun of it, see, okay, this is how it is. And just let it be how it is and meet it with a friendliness and a curiosity. Oh, can I let this moment be just the way it is and feel myself walking with interest and curiosity? Okay, and your mind will wander and every time it wanders, no problem. Oh, there it is again. Come on back and let's just be here.
Okay, you got it? So we'll we'll walk. It's about 22, so we'll walk, and, and there'll be a bell rung just a few minutes before, uh, and we'll come back and, uh, and sit at 11 o'clock. Okay? And keep with the silence, if you can. This is a day for you to, to be with yourself. Uh, somebody who could ring the bell. Let's see. Uh, do we have a... Yes, you're ringing. Okay, thank you.
So, <clears throat> could you walk in and let things be as they are? <clears throat> Anything that came up from that? Anything that you noticed? Uh-huh. Here, wait, hang on. So you... It's new, and you had a, a double I'm foot new. surgery. I'm a wow. here. Wow. And I've had double foot surgery since April. This mm. is my third day without a cast on. Wow. And so to walk, um, everything has always been difficult, mm. just my, my healing. So to walk and really focus on um, just me, I really felt like my feet finally feel whole. Mm. And it was really... It was very emotional. Mm, how beautiful. So I'm so happy. That must be a big, a big thing after double foot surgery to walk and really appreciate you're feeling whole. Well, it means I'm healing too. And you're healing too, yes. So one of the things about mindfulness is that um, we are here for our experience. And, uh, you know, you, you've been walking for the last few days, three days or so, uh, but there's a different quality when you're really being present instead of, as we, most of us usually do, just in our mind and in our stories and know what's the next thing and just, oh, I'm walking. Oh, these feet are serving me. And there can, equanimity doesn't mean you can't feel grateful. There's, there's gratitude and there's a kind of um, appreciation. I sometimes think of mindfulness as an appreciation practice. Uh, that doesn't, appreciation is different from grasping. It's like, oh, this is, this is an okay moment. This is a good moment. Don't miss it. When my uh, Joseph Goldstein, my main teacher, he said, "If you, uh, he 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 was asked, uh, is is there a mantra in this kind of practice?" And uh, he said, "Oh yeah, there's one mantra I found very helpful. As much as you want to remind yourself, just to say, it's okay. It's okay. Oh, this moment is okay. Usually, we're looking for peak experiences, but." If it's okay, then it's not a problem. And even more, oh, it's really okay. Oh, this is, this is okay. Okayness can be a sense of peace and richness and appreciation with this okay moment in your life. And it can even flower as gratitude. Oh, and we'd normally miss it. It's underneath the radar because we're so preoccupied with other things. So, how lovely. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Um, so, we'll, um, let's do, have another uh, practice period. And uh, this time, with our practicing mindfulness, um, one support for equanimity
is um, seeing how everything is changing. Your present experience is just present for this moment. And the next moment has its own uniqueness. The underlying um, understanding of equanimity is that, as I said a little bit earlier, everything is changing. And when you're practicing being present in meditation and notice the impermanent nature of experience, you start to get, hopefully, especially if, if you're inclining your mind this way, that there's no holding on to anything. Holding on to changing experience is a, f- is a futile project. But Joseph has a simple way of, of saying this. Holding on to changing experience is like rope burn. Yeah, you remember when you were in gym class in school and maybe you ever do any ropes or have a tug of war, you know, and if you're holding on to a rope as it's going fast through your hands, you get burned. That's what we often do. We try to hold on to that which is continually changing and to let go when you see, oh, there's no holding, there's nothing to hold on to. It's continually changing. That allows for, or we start to allow or accept things as they are moving through. So with this meditation period, as you're present for your experience, as best you can be, just notice how things are changing. There's the change as you pay attention to the breath, and there's an in-breath, and then it stops and turns into an out-breath. And there's an out-breath, and the out-breath ends and turns into an in-breath. So on that simple basic level, your breath isn't stopping or just having an in-breath. You, that wouldn't be very good. And it's not just having an out-breath. It's continually changing. But besides that, your experience besides breathing is continually changing. As you're here and you're feeling the breath, and then you might notice, oh, and there's a sound. And your awareness notices, oh, hearing. And then you might notice, oh, and here's a, uh, a, uh, an itch. And there's itching. And now you notice, oh, and here's a thought. Oh, and here's breathing in again. And now here's a feeling. And just one moment after another, it's a continual flow of experience. Even in your body, if you pay attention to your body, besides the breath, there is a continual show going on. So let's just do that for a a little while. I'll do a little bit of a guided practice, and then uh, then you can see for yourself. So 
for a few moments, first connect with your posture and the fact that you're sitting here. And within that framework of the body, within the stillness and feeling connected to the earth, there's the breath. You might take a few deeper breaths like we did the last time. And let the breath be natural. And first notice change within the breath experience. Breathing in, at some point the in-breath turns into the out-breath. Tune into that for a few moments. Just noticing how there's a continual flow of experience. One breath to the next, to the next. Continual movement. Maybe a pause every now and then between breaths, but then the next one starts. Just tune into that reality of change within the breath. And now, turn your awareness towards other sensations in your body. Just let the breath be in the background and notice what else is here. You might notice vibrations and pulsings and throbbings and subtle sensations. Just let yourself become interested in the flow of sensations as life moves through you. If your mind wanders, just bring it back and notice the show. Just be here for the show. Vision, pulsings, pressures, energies. And just let yourself relax and be interested in the show. No controlling it. You don't have to make it happen. It's just happening all by itself. 
continual change. Now you can open up, there's the, the breath, there's the show and the flow of sensations. And then there's whatever else might call your attention. If you notice that you've been thinking, oh, and here's thoughts coming and going. Here's a mood that's come and here for a while and going. So many things that are happening in each moment. Don't worry about catching them all. Just notice how each moment is unique. Whether you're looking at it in a very focused, narrow lens, like the breath or sensation, or you're looking at it in a wider lens, like breathing and sensation and thoughts coming and going, just tune in for the next oh, 15 minutes or so. Besides whatever you might notice is happening, notice with the, through the perspective of things constantly changing and see if you can relax as you notice that change in a very allowing and interested, open way.
Keep looking through the lens of impermanence. One moment coming and going, followed by the next moment. And then the next. Continually changing. Just tune into that.
moment, noticing through the lens of change, nothing to hold on to. Interested, connected,
And a sense of balance and stillness within a changing experience. You need to do to make it happen. It's happening already. Coming and going, sensations and sounds coming and going. Thoughts coming. Change everywhere. The centeredness, stillness right in the middle of it all.
could you get a a sense of that of just being in the middle of change and not needing to fix or control anything just finding a, a centeredness in the in the middle of it all <clears throat> any observations any comments from that You mentioned the word, uh, the observation and change and centeredness. Um, I sense more change than centeredness. That the change is not. There's nothing constant going on. I'm, so I'm. The centeredness is new. It's mm-hmm. a new concept. I'm not really clear what you mean by that. So. Okay. So, uh, centeredness meaning. The awareness that's knowing change. You don't need to exhaust yourself noticing change. As a, an illustration, suppose somebody gave you the uh, the task of counting cars as they went by on a on a fast lane. As each one comes by. If you're going like this and just catching each one, you're going to be tired very quickly. But if you simply have your gaze on the other side of, of the road, just right in front of you and gazing in a very relaxed way, you'll notice that change, but you can be quite centered as you're noticing change within that all. So the centeredness is just the awareness that is knowing that doesn't have to exhaust you or itself in catching everything, but just finding a place of real balance and ease that's noticing all of that coming and going, arising and passing. Sounds sense. like something effortless. Effortless, yeah. The, the one requirement is interest. It's just being interested enough to notice. But the change is happening all the time. You don't have to make the change happen. And it doesn't have to be exhausting at all. There's a, a place of stillness right in the middle of it all. And and that's the equanimity that's available just in the noticing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what I noticed is um, there's a fluidity to it, the, you know, the stream of consciousness. And uh, for a I was mostly working in the realm of thoughts. Uh, for a thought to stay, um, I've got to kind of leave my seat next to that stream and step in with some kind of interest, uh, desire, 
you know, great idea, start elaborating on it, whatever. Getting hooked in the thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, or uh, you know, a dislike of it. And then it, it will persist for a while. Right. Um, and, and in that way, I kind of make the, what otherwise would be a pretty flimsy, you know, momentary thing, passing thing. Right. Um, kind of real, at least for a while. And I, I think that's how, you know, we get trapped. It, we create reality out of holding on to those uh, thoughts, whether pleasant or aversive, and, you know, create a story, etc. cetera. Yeah. So, left to their own, they just kind of go on by, like you were saying with the cars. All thoughts going by. So, when you're not hooked by your thoughts, they just keep on coming and going. When, we won't have time to do this, but one thing you, you might just try at some sitting, just like a well, we can do it for maybe half a minute, okay? Just like you're um, a cat at a mouse hole. Just notice the experience of thought. See if you can notice each thought as it comes without getting hooked in it, just noticing thinking. And uh, there's subtle ones too, like, hey, not many thoughts right now. That's a thought. Too. So, just for the fun of it, let's just try this for a few moments. You can close your eyes and see if you can count your thoughts, okay? The very, very subtle ones as, much, as well as the obvious ones. And every time, just see one after another. You notice them? Anybody not have any thought? How many counted at least five? Ten. Fifty. <laughs> They're there. I, when I got, the first time I, I had, I, I got to a whole new level of quiet on a longer retreat. And I thought when, when I, I had this idea when I, if I'm really doing the meditation right, it would be like this giant vacuum cleaner would come and suck all the thoughts out and I'd be blank. <laughs> Don't wait for that to happen. <laughs> what I noticed was when it got very quiet, there are thoughts underneath thoughts underneath thoughts. It's just... <laughs> This continuous waterfall, it's just so subtle though. It's kind of interesting. And if you counted 10 or 15 or 20 or whatever, um, after a while you see this is completely 
fabricated out of nothing. Thoughts are so empty. They're so, if you just see each one, it's so insubstantial. And yet, they feel so real when they're there. You know, what if that happens? Or that rotten SOB, and then you get hooked and you're in a whole world. But they're just coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. And they're as empty as you understand them to be, as insubstantial as you see them to be, or as real as you make them to be. He really did do that. Mm. And there you are just replaying that thought for weeks. Right? So to see how impermanent it all is, then you can have some equanimity around this amazing thought machine that we take to be real. Wow, look at the waterfall, as it's sometimes described. Then uh, the thoughts don't have to bother you. Just imagine having any thought in the world and realizing, oh, it's just a thought. That's that centeredness. It's the awareness that knows, that doesn't get hooked. Okay? So let's do um, another uh, walking period and um, say, uh, again, 15, 20 minutes, and we'll come back for one last before lunchtime uh, meditation, a different lens to develop equanimity and, uh, and check in the last few minutes. Okay, so go and enjoy your walking, only this time, last time you were just letting things be as they are, this time go, uh, go for your walk, enjoy your walk, and just look through the lens of change. Whether you're walking and the scenery is changing, or your footsteps are changing, or the sounds are coming and going, just incline the mind, or your thoughts coming and going, just incline your mind to look through that lens, which is happening all the time. You're just tuning into it, how things are continually changing, and see if you can find that centeredness in the middle of the change. You don't have to exhaust yourself noticing the change. Just uh, be the awareness that's noticing all the change around you. Okay, And have fun. Make it like a game. Just tuning into change. Okay, And then we'll, we'll come back in another, let's say, uh, uh, oh, we'll ring the bell at uh, five after and we'll come back for one, one last sitting. If anyone wants to check in about practice, I can uh, connect with somebody if you if you have practice questions.
So we're, we'll do um, one, one more um, sitting, short sitting before lunch, and we can check in for a, for a few minutes uh, as well before we break for lunch. Hmm. By the way, some sometimes people varying uh, tastes as far as length of sitting or. Uh, like longer sittings or shorter sittings. There's a on on day longs. Um, I find that um, that shorter sittings, um, as it's said in the Tibetan, uh, um, a number of shorties better than a few longies. Just uh, in a long. Long sitting. It's quieter. It's calm, but um, it's it's uh, harder to. Um, it takes a while to land in the present. So, uh, if you're looking for like this practice with this lens, uh, one additional way to find a center in the midst of, of things. First, we were just experimenting with letting things be the way they are. And then the last time, noticing how things change. With this sitting, I wanted to uh, add one additional uh, dimension and that is um, noticing what in uh, the discourse on mindfulness the Buddha talks of as the second foundation of mindfulness, noticing the flavor of experience, uh, what's called in Pali Vedana, V-E-D-A-N-A. He says that in every moment, you can check this out for yourself, there's either, uh, it's either a pleasant moment or an unpleasant moment or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, sometimes called a neutral moment. That pretty much covers the territory. If you can think about something else, let me know. It might be a pleasant sound or an unpleasant sensation or a neutral breath, nothing, nothing big happening. And usually we get tossed and uh, tossed around by the pleasantness of an unpleasantness. If it's a pleasant moment, we react, I want more of that, I like that, we want to possess it. If it's an unpleasant moment, I don't like that. We want to push it away. And if it's neutral, we kind of space out on things. But he said in this second foundation of mindfulness, if you can notice the flavor of experience, that valence, oh, this is pleasant, without grasping, or this is unpleasant, without pushing away, or this is neutral without spacing out, then you are finding a place of 
deep uh, connection and wisdom and balance in the middle of those changing flavors. So with this meditation, if you will simply notice pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, not to need to change anything or to uh, wish it were different, to have any agenda, but simply notice those flavors for what they are and see if you can, again, uh, find a centered awareness that's just noticing how those things change. So let's just try this for a, a few moments. I'll give you a little guided uh, and then we'll be quiet for a while. So as you're sitting here, just in this moment, notice if it's a pleasant moment, an unpleasant moment, or neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And now, keep noticing that for a little while, for the next few minutes, whether it's a sensation or a sound or the breath or your mind wandering or your mind getting uh, uh, interested in something, just keep on noticing and you might name it to yourself in a like a game, oh, pleasant, pleasant, oh, neutral. And so forth, like that. Uh, and I'll be quiet. Let's just try that for a little while on your own, just for the fun of it. out or spaces out, come on back and just notice the flavor of this moment's experience. This moment.
And now, as we've been doing, connect with what's actually here, whether it's the breath or a sensation or a sound or whatever thought. And using this, uh, this awareness, see if you notice the movement of mind towards anything or away from anything. If it's a pleasant moment, just notice if there's a movement of the mind, ooh, I like that, or I want to get more into that. Or if it's an unpleasant moment, oh, I want to go away from that. And see if you can find a centeredness right in the middle, no matter if it's a pleasant moment or an unpleasant moment. See if you can find a place of balance and centeredness and equanimity in the middle of those changing flavors, whatever your experience is. Notice the movement of the mind, if there is one towards or away from anything. And as soon as you notice it, just coming back to center.
simply watching the show, not needing to go towards or away from anything. And if you notice that the mind has moved, and just notice that without judgment, and that brings it right back to the center again. So, <clears throat> any observations, anything that you notice from that? <clears throat> Particularly if, if you haven't spoken yet, I'd be happy to hear from you. Um. There's a narrator voice in my head that mm. continues the guided meditation when you've stopped. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes the narrator voice goes away, but that's, that's mostly when I'm 
becoming distracted. It's the narrator voice that calls me, calls me back. Um, the narrator voice is neutral. Good. And, but, um, reduces my experience in some ways. I'm attached to the narrator voice. And I wonder how that, that level, that intentionality about uh, my meditation practice, how I incorporate that into my meditation practice. And when you say the narrative voice reduces your experience, um, what do you, how do you, what do you mean? The narrator voice is... A little closer. Uh, the narrator voice is uh, an instructor and a neutral instructor. So I, I don't find that I'm judging myself, but it's a very intellectual voice. It's not experiential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one, of the, one of the techniques in practice is using mental noting, where you're noticing in, out, hearing, sensing, uh, and it's, it's been a big part of my practice. It's not the only way to practice, but I'm very familiar with naming your experience and um, something that you might play around with is uh, both the volume and the tone. And I, I hear that it's a neutral, which is really good, much better than thinking, thinking, or judging, whatever it is. That gets you nowhere, except more aggravation. But if you can have it as a, a very uh, kind, loving voice that's naming your experience, then you're bringing, actually, you're bringing kindness right into the moment. So if you relate to Kuan Yin or the embodiment of compassion, let the, or some, uh, or the Dalai Lama, just imagine the Dalai Lama is naming it, 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 naming your experience for you. So you can bring some, uh, some ease and kindness instead of a, an instructor, uh, a kind of um, coach, uh, that's there. And when you use the mental noting, it's like 5% perhaps on the naming and 95% on actually feeling the experience. Times, it'll just, it can just fall away. And you don't have to keep up with the noting. It sounds like the narrator is happening all, all by itself. But you might just for, for a while... Um, tune more directly into the experience and the narrator will keep on going on because uh, it's, a, it's a habit, but just more finely tune into the direct experience. Uh, and if, you find yourself, if you find yourself getting annoyed by the narrator voice, um, notice that, oh, annoyed. Or if you're finding yourself getting attached to it, oh, wanting the narrator voice. So that becomes your relationship to the narrator voice is part of what you're, you're noticing as well. But don't spend a lot of time trying to get rid of it. Let it just...
connecting you with what's actually happening. So um, we'll uh, we'll break for lunch uh, now. <clears throat> Just mention a couple of things before we break for lunch. This afternoon we'll we'll do a little bit more of a different couple of styles of practice uh, that haven't been mentioned uh, to develop equanimity, and we'll have a uh, I'll give a talk. Towards the uh, towards the end of the day, on not only the in the formal practice, but in in one's life, particularly in these times, uh, just to give you a little coming attraction. Um, for many people, these are um, uncertain times. From this last month of what's happened, and I know many people are really um, excited and looking forward to what's happening, uh, and many people are not. But just where, wherever you, whatever you've been with the current news, um, there's a lot of people who are afraid and who are marginalized, and who there's some real. Uh, suffering and concern. So no matter what your personal preference is, just know that a lot of people are going through um, a lot of apprehension these days. And um, this is where equanimity can really come in and support us. And we'll be exploring that uh, later on in the day. Because we care. And because the heart really cares about suffering of others or of um, when there's uh, suffering in the world. And that caring, that compassion, that's a natural response to, to suffering. Uh, it can overwhelm us at times or, or burn us out. Um, and that doesn't serve you or anybody when you get burned out or overwhelmed with uh, apprehension and anxiety. And this is where equanimity comes in and uh, can help to hold whatever our internal response is with wisdom, with spaciousness, so that ever, whatever we do is coming from a much wiser, more balanced place. Um, and uh, about how this is applied to one's to one's life. So now we'll we'll take about an hour for lunch. It's just after twelve thirty and we'll we'll come back at one thirty. Um while you're on your lunch period, you can still have your equanimity practice going. Again, that doesn't mean you can't enjoy and appreciate. So if you're outside and eating a lunch that you either bought or made and prepared just the way you like it, um, 
appreciate it. They don't have to say, oh, well, I'm so centered, I'm not going to enjoy my food. No, 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 that's, that's, that's too much. You want to enjoy it, and then when it's near the end, not get into, oh, I wish I had another sandwich like this. It was so, just, it goes, okay? And then if you're eating your carrot or whatever else is, is there for your lunch, uh, just appreciate it and um, don't miss it. Uh, but again, just have a, a game of noticing the movement of the mind towards or away from anything, whether it's your lunch or, uh, or the, the outdoors or this quiet time. You might think, oh gosh, finally I gave myself some, some quiet today. Oh, but then I'm going to go home and it's going to be all busy and it's going to be such a drag and don't have to go there. Just be in this moment and appreciate this moment and find a sense of um, uh, balance and centeredness in this moment. Uh, enjoy your lunch. Enjoy being outside. Don't have to squeeze any more out of, out of the moment than what's here. Okay, so... Any question on any of that? You uh, eating inside is that okay? Is what's that? Tables are set up outside. Yeah, so there there'll be some places. Yeah, right in the in the lobby that you, that you can eat. Yeah, or uh, anywhere on the land to the, the gate where the retreat is happening uh, in the upper part of the campus. Yes. It is okay to eat in here? Is that, is that, has that been mentioned? Okay. Okay, that's good. Got it clear. It is okay to eat in here. Just keep the drinks covered. And keep silent. Yeah, this is a silent space. I would encourage you, if you wanted to just have some space for yourself, to keep silent for your lunch. If you want to, if you came with a friend and want to uh, go for a walk and connect, then then do it uh, uh, away from this immediate vicinity. Okay, we'll see you at one thirty.
So, did you taste your lunch? <clears throat> and then let it go? <laughs> Any yoga teachers or movement teachers here? I was going to just have people stretch for a few moments. Would you feel like leading us? for after lunch it's good to uh, move our bodies Steph Elliot Fold forward, swan dive forward. Forward again, and we'll bring the hands to the right side. New James's Vedana practice. Uh, what here is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? And switch to the other side.
being at the center. Back, so it's at a 90 degree angle from your body. And put your hands on the hips and just stay here in tabletop for a moment. Straight up to standing. One more time, James, or shall we? Okay, one more. All right, put your hands in front of you. Let's just start circling the wrists a bit. And then switch. And bring the right arm around, opening the shoulder. And the other arm around. A little faster now. Just lubricating the joints. And drop both arms. And we'll just do a gentle hip opener. If you have any difficulty with balance, think that you might, uh, you can put a hand on a chair. Otherwise, you can find a dristi, just a focal spot, focal point on the floor. And we're going to lift one leg, place it over the knee. You can either stay here or for a little stretch in your glutes, which can be really nice for your hips. You can fold forward a little bit. So to whatever point you feel comfortable, some people can fold all the way forward. And feel free to just stand upright here if that's better for you. You lose your balance, that's fine. That's what we're here for today, to learn about balance. All right, let's do it again with the, the other leg. Right ankle over the left knee. And then either stand here or just fold forward, finding a, a, a focal point on the floor in front of you, which if you fold forward, continue folding forward, that spot will shift. If you're standing upright, you can just keep a single point of, of your gaze. Plant that foot back on the ground. And just shake it out. Always good to get in your body. Stay in your body. <clears throat> so, um, <clears throat> so with this, um, this period, I want to do bring uh, another dimension of of equanimity or balance uh, in the practice and that is um, seeing the big picture having a sense of spaciousness like I said at the the beginning of the day uh, equanimity 
really is a, a kind of spacious stillness. When you see the big picture or you have a, a, a bigger container, then you're not as tossed from the uh, particulars that, that are happening in, any, in one, any one moment. And you can bring this into your meditation as well. I wanted to share with you a, a different kind of uh, meditation this period. To start with, though, just uh, do this little exercise with me. Um, take your, uh, open your hand and put it uh, out in front of you. And uh, take a look and see what you see. And uh, let's just take a few responses. Just uh, say one thing that you, that you see. You can take a few responses. Anyone? What's that? Short, cra- uh, short knuckles, short, short cracked lines. Okay, yeah, lots of lines. Yeah, what else do you see? What'd you say? Ah, space between the fingers. Yeah, very good. Anything else? Huh? Skin. Uh huh. Multicolors. Uh huh. What else? Hmm? A star? A scar. Oh, yeah, a scar. Oh, yeah. A paper cut? Okay. Lots of things to see. I'll I'll just, uh, in the interest of time, um, what you said before uh, is not usually seen. Just for a moment, take a look in front of you and see space with a hand in it. We usually don't look at the space. We're so focused on the objects in front of us. But when you see that perspective, actually there's a whole lot more space than hand. And if you just for a few moments shift your perspective and notice the space with the hand in it, there's a whole, a much larger context. In the same way, okay, you can put your hand down. In the same way, uh, you can worry, we could keep it up here for the rest of the afternoon. In the same way, um, when we're meditating, we're often focused on the things that are arising, whether it's a sound or a sensation or the breath or a thought or a feeling, um, but they are all arising in the space of awareness. And so for this meditation, which is a, an adaptation of a, a, a meditation that uh, Joseph Goldstein uh, put together called the Big Mind Meditation, uh, we can tune into the space that everything is arising in. And this is a, a very um, 
helpful, profound way to see all of our experience. It's all arising in this space of awareness that is happening all the time. For instance, your awareness, if you're looking up here, look at, at this form, can you not see me? If your eyes are working, can you not see this form? Can you shut off your awareness? It's happening even without you trying to make it happen. It's just happening all on its own. But we kind of take it for granted. Oh, form there? Yeah, I see it. But there's an awareness that's operating. The same way, if you're hearing these, wor- these words, can you not hear that if you're, if you're functioning enough so that you can hear sound? Can you shut off hearing? No, you can't. The awareness is just happening all by itself. Tuning into the awareness is a whole other way to, to understand experience rather than the sound or the sight or whatever it is that's happening. So this um, meditation is one where we're, we're seeing everything arising in the space or the field of awareness. So for this... Uh, invite you to close your eyes a moment. And uh, begin by finding a comfortable posture and uh, just work with stillness. And begin by opening to sounds. Very quiet in this room, besides my voice. I'll also introduce some other sounds for you to um, to be aware of as well. Just noticing the loud sounds, the softer sounds, the sound of my voice, the sound of silence. Noticing the sounds appear and disappear in the open space of mind. Mind be open, wide, clear like the sky. 
sounds appearing and disappearing in the open sky of the mind. Now become aware of sensations as points of feeling, stars in the night sky. No head no shoulders or back or chest or arms and legs, just points of sensation like stars in the night sky. Inside, no outside, no boundaries or separations, only sounds and sensations arising and passing in the open space of the mind. Head or neck, no shoulders or back, chest or arms, legs, only points of sensation 
and the open sky of the mind. Now become aware of thoughts and images like clouds passing through the sky. No roots, no home, arising and vanishing in the open sky of mind. and sensations, thoughts, images appear and disappear. In the open space of mind, The mind be soft and steady and still. No reaching out or pushing away. Simply allowing sounds and sensations, thoughts, images to arise and pass by themselves in the open stillness of the mind. Now look directly at the nature of mind. What we call mind. This awareness is clear and invisible like empty space. There's no color. 
form. Contains all things, but it isn't composed of them. Look directly at the nature of mind. Keep the mind soft and steady and perfectly still without the slightest movement towards or away from any object. No limits, no boundaries. All experience appearing and disappearing in the open stillness of mind. Everything arising and passing on its own in the space of awareness, the vast space of mind.
for the next 10 minutes. Simply receive experience without needing to move towards or away from seeing everything arising and passing on its own within that spacious stillness of mind.
the last minute or so. Be here for your experience, but let the mind be open, spacious, simply receiving what's arising and passing in the space of awareness. No moving towards or pushing away. All within the spaciousness of the mind. of any report card about how you did or didn't do, oh, I was asleep or I was spacey or I was whatever. <clears throat> the spaciousness can easily lead to a, a spaciness, so that's not uncommon. <clears throat> any, any observations, anything from that, that practice? You get a sense of the, of the, spaciousness that's uh, that you can tune into and in, in practice <clears throat> yeah, yeah, just one moment I have a question about the instructions that you gave prior uh, regarding uh, maybe not the instructions but the uh, what you shared prior about the awareness always being present, mm, um, like mm. we can't help but see you. Um, and my question concerns mm. intentional awareness versus non-intentional awareness. Uh, specifically, uh, I'm thinking of um, a couple of days ago, there was a time when I had a stomach ache and I was eating very slowly. I was very carefully eating slowly. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was in very much in the present moment. My mind wasn't in the past or the future. However, uh, after the fact, I realized uh, I didn't know, there wasn't a knowing of that happening. Like there wasn't uh, an awareness of, oh, I'm, um, I'm present right now. Does that make sense? Like mm -hmm. we often talk about the one who knows, 
there wasn't a knowing of that occurrence. So can you talk a little bit about like one was more of an absorbed state and one was mm-hmm. a mindful state perhaps? Okay. Yeah, so um, the awareness that's happening all the, well, I'm saying it's happening all the time. Actually, if uh, depending upon who you speak to, whether it's in strict Theravadan, uh, um, Abhidhamma, the, it, the consciousness is arising and passing in every moment. But for the purposes of, um, for all intents and purposes, there's a knowing that's happening in every moment. Uh, there's a registering of experience, I should say it like that. Like you're seeing or you're hearing or you're having some sensation or whatever. There's the, the object and the knowing of it that's happening automatically without you making anything, contriving or uh, creating anything. Then there is um, directed awareness, which is really what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is not just, oh, uh, um, unconsciously just knowing this is a glass or just being aware, okay, I think I'll drink some water, but mindfulness is now I'm paying attention to lifting this glass and drinking the water, tasting the water, sipping it, and there is um, an intentional knowing that you're what you're doing and there's an awareness of that. So that's... That's one, uh, mindfulness is kind of like a subset of that natural awareness that's happening all the time. And then there's like what we just did in, the, uh, in, in that little exercise, there's tuning into the awareness itself, which is different than knowing this object and now I'm sipping it but there's kind of like knowing the space between the hands or just having a sense of the awareness that everything is arising and, and passing. And that's, that's another kind of mindfulness. It's mindfulness of awareness itself. Except you can't really catch awareness because it's like... Your eye, can you see your eyeball? It's the one thing that you can't see, right? Unless you look in the mirror. Oh, yeah, there's an eyeball over there. But you can't, your eye can't see itself because it's looking through. But you can sense that there's an eye there, particularly if you know that it's there. Just like you can sense that awareness is there, but you can't catch it. So, but you can still sense it, uh, and that's just another dimension of mindfulness. It's just tuning, turning the mindfulness onto the awareness itself. Thank you. Anything else? There? Yeah. Had an observation uh-huh. when we started. Closer when we started the meditation uh-huh. and there were different tones mm-hmm. and I found that 
partway through, I couldn't tell when the tone actually stopped because some of them seemed to go on for a very long time. And you I mean the, the sound? The, the sound. Uh -huh. And I couldn't tell if it was the actual sound that was there or if it was just reverberating in my head. Interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which you're, you're pointing to something else. Um, it's not like there's a right answer that you're looking for, but just in the looking... When we're interested, oh, is that tone really out there or is it in my head? Just that curiosity is, it brings a kind of aliveness of investigation. And that's one of the things that I really uh, find so helpful about the practice. If you're simply curious, not looking for any one right answer, but just like I often say, just for the fun of it, you're born with this really insatiable curiosity that, that likes, to, likes to learn, likes to discover, uh, likes to be connected, and there you are, uh, addicted to your phone or whatever. Oh, what's the next thing, you know? Oh, what's the next email? Oh, this hyperlink reality. Oh, yeah, let me find out about that. Oh, and about that. We have that natural curiosity. And if we can use it, not just when we're plugged in, but just to discover life, then uh, everything becomes interesting. And in the looking itself, you are more connected to life. So you, ha you can have fun with it and making it like a game. Oh, let's check it out. I think I've tried this meditation before and it was mind-boggling mind and hard to get a handle on. And so it was, as, and again it was, but it was different. And I found myself using an image this time um, at first, I was like a tiny speck in a, in a snowfield, um, mm. very high in a mountain in the, you know, perfect untouched snow. And I was there, but I was just a speck far away. And mm. I didn't feel anything. It wasn't cold. Mm -hmm. uh, the sensations were coming from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And then I disappeared, and it was just, just snow. It wasn't in a mountain, and it was just white. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if it was snow or fog or clouds. And uh, we came back to mm -hmm. my cool. aches and pains. <laughs> yeah, but for a while you disappeared as the as the one who was looking, right? right? And you can um, uh, maybe you got a sense of just being the field or being the sky, and everything just happening within that field. That's. One way you can think of as your life, too, that, you know, on the one hand, there's James experiencing life. On, in another, it's just life happening through this form. And life, one way I think of it is just life is knowing itself through this pattern of experience. And there's no... There's no me checking 
checking it out. It's just awareness knowing itself. So um, it's fun when you disappear for a little while. It's actually a really great relief. And you don't have to make the show happen or even make it a better show. It's just, oh, there's this show. So when you, you, know, you become the field instead of the snow, it's very, that's equanimity. Then there's nothing you've got to fix or change. Mm-hmm. Okay, anything else? Yeah, I'll have what he's having. What's that? <laughs> I said, I'll have what he's having. <laughs> Harry met Sally. <laughs> Okay, so um, let's have another, um, another walking period and try this out. Just um, be the space of awareness as you're walking that it's awareness knowing that you're lifting your feet or... See if you can get out of the story of being you doing this meditation and just um, letting, being the space of awareness that is knowing what's here. It's a very spacious perspective. And if it's complicated or if, if you're not relating to it, don't hassle, don't, don't try to you know, contort yourself into it. Just enjoy the moment without needing to um, make it a better moment or change anything. It's, there's a kind of um, deep relaxation when you're not trying. Don't even try to be the space of awareness. Just relax and let, and let everything be known uh, in the walking, or enjoy it to whatever extent you can without needing to uh, to change the experience. So there's um, mm, an image that, that comes to my mind of like, going to uh, a symphony. And uh, sometimes you might tune into the string section or the brass section or the percussion section. And sometimes you might just tune into the whole symphony and there you are just allowing the whole thing to be here without just having a very wide lens that, takes, uh, that, that receives the moment as it is. So when you do this walking period, again, we'll walk for about, oh, 20, 20 minutes. Uh, we can ring the bell at about a quarter to two and then come back for one last sitting and, and, and talk. But just uh, let yourself relax. Nothing that you need to do. No emails. No responsibilities. Just for 20 minutes, just allow yourself to completely relax and uh, find a place of ease within the experience of walking. Okay? So you're practicing this equanimity, this spacious awareness um, as we uh, as you're moving.
And again, if anyone wants to check in about practice, uh, I'm, I'm happy to, to meet.
Okay, <clears throat> so with this last um, period before we, uh, before I share a talk and we explore together <clears throat> this topic of equanimity, I wanted to uh, share with you the uh, the classical uh, equanimity practice and some variations of the classical practice, besides cultivating it as we've been doing, just inclining the mind towards balance through, we've gone through seeing things just as they are, noticing how everything changes and tuning into change and not holding on to anything, noticing the pleasant unpleasantness or neutrality of experience and seeing how that can change without grasping towards or away from or that whole uh, being the space of awareness in the, the big mind meditation, uh, you can consciously cultivate equanimity as a practice, just like you just go out. Just like you can uh, consciously cultivate um, loving kindness or compassion or sympathetic joy. Um, how many people have done uh, loving kindness practice where you've, okay, so you know. How many people have done equanimity practice? Just a, just a handful. So you can, in the same way, like the loving kindness practice, program your mind and your heart to incline towards, um, towards balance, towards centeredness. Um, and the classical practice uh, is understanding how there's a lawful karmic unfolding to experience. And as you as you tune into that lawful unfolding, uh, you are um, less likely to feel frustrated by what's happening or feel like, oh, I should have more control over what's happening. It's just a natural unfolding, both within your own being and with uh, externally those those around you or circumstances around you, <clears throat> so I wanted to share that classical practice and also some some variations. Um, so the the classical um, equanimity phrases it's a little bit lengthy, uh, and then there's variations you could have is. Um, it starts out, you are the owner of your karma, or you are the heir of your karma. Your happiness and unhappiness depends upon your actions, not on my wishes for you. You are the heir or the owner of your karma. Your happiness or unhappiness depends on your actions, not on my wishes for you. This is uh, particularly powerful when we have a strong investment in how, how people 
uh, how uh, people that we care about, how their lives are unfolding, particularly parents among among you. You know, you might want to protect your child or your loved one from suffering or harm. Um, and that's a beautiful, caring movement of the heart. However, as you've probably seen, you have limited control over that. And as much as you want to have your loved ones avoid suffering, you can't control it. You can do what you can to make things safe, but ultimately they lead their life. And so this is a, a tremendous kind of um, um, support in you not getting so attached and invested in how things are for those who you care about and love, or for yourself, for that matter, realizing that, oh, I, I, uh, I wish that life would treat me better, but it's really up to me to do the best I can to have the uh, to support myself, and if I get into bad habits, you know, then that have, has their consequences. Not that you can avoid uh, even doing the best you can, you're, you're going to still be subject to the first noble truth if there's suffering in life. But there's, this is where uh, equanimity holds that caring and compassion. It's a, a story I, I tell in, uh, in Awakening Joy, uh, where I really learned about this in, in my own life. I was doing um, uh, Brahma Vihara practice for about six weeks at Meditation Center in Massachusetts, loving kindness and compassion and then um, sympathetic joy and then um, equanimity. And when it got to this, to the equanimity part, at first, it seemed a little cool. It seems a little detached, doesn't it? You know, you're the heir of your karma. It's kind of like, good luck to you, you know. <laughs> Bless you. See you later. But that—that's not it. It's—it's it's just really saying, you are, you're the heir of your karma. Your happiness and unhappiness depend depends on your actions. It's like realizing I can only do so much. I can care and love you to pieces, but. I can't control what happens to you. And when it, after a while, it kind of really made sense. Oh, what a relief. And I had this one meditation where um, I was saying the equanimity phrases, and uh, in this particular meditation, different people came to my mind, and I imagined them sitting in a chair in front of me, and I was telling them actually the good news. Like, oh, this is in my mind, you know, oh, let me tell you this. This is cutting out. Your happiness and your actions. Um, so that you'll be happy, you know. Um, and it was great. One person after another, some, you know, my wife, my good friends, and all, until 
it came to my son, who was 10 years old at the time. And all of a sudden, he popped into the chair. And it was a whole different experience. And I said, oh my goodness. Your happiness and unhappiness depends on your actions, not on my wishes for you. And it was, it was painful and scary to think, oh, I couldn't protect him from whatever he needs to learn in life at first. And what I then went through was um, what I've called my clockwork orange sitting. If you ever saw the movie Clockwork Orange, where they're deprogramming the, or they're they're um, they're brainwashing really, actually the um, uh, the the main character and showing all these awful, horrible scenes, and they keep his eyes open. He he's not allowed to close his eyes on it, right? And all of these awful scenes came to my mind from auto accident, to terminal disease, to drug addiction, to it was one after another. And each time I'd say it and then there would be this horrific scene and it was like, oh, you're the owner of your karma, your happiness and unhappiness. And then it would be, Oh, there's that too. And I'd say it again and again. And it was about well over an hour, probably an hour and a quarter of, of these one scene after another. And at first it was, oh, oh. and then after a while it was, oh yeah, that too. And then that too. And then that too. And by the end of that whole time, I kind of got it that, I couldn't protect him. I can do everything I can to make his life as good as it can can be, but at some point he has his own life to live. And it was for me a real turning point in my relating to him uh, and, and, and letting go of thinking that I could save him from the first noble truth that there's suffering in life. And after a while, it condensed from the, all of those words to in my heart, it was just, I honor your life's journey. I just honor your journey. You have your own journey to be on. And I'm cheering. I didn't say this in my mind, but that's with the words. I honor your journey. And I'm cheering you on, but... Um, uh, there you go, and I need to uh, to let go of thinking I can I can protect you in that way, uh, and that's that's something that uh, I thought we could just practice a little bit. That's one variation of of the equanimity. Another is simply calling on balance, just inviting balance in your mind and in your heart as well. So we can try a little bit of both of these and uh and then we'll then we'll explore together uh th this topic so i invite you to close your eyes and uh find a posture you can be reasonably 
still and balanced. You might bring someone to mind who, um, who you want to practice this on. Someone who maybe you have a strong investment in their happiness. Oops. And as you as you bring them to mind, and seeing them go through whatever experiences in their life, just try try this on. You are the owner of your karma. Your happiness and unhappiness depends on your actions, not on my wishes for you. Just rest in that for a moment. And then say it again with them in mind. You might even say their name to start to connect with it. You are the owner of your karma. Your happiness And unhappiness depends upon your actions, not on my wishes for you. As much as I care about and love you, You are the owner of your karma. Happiness and unhappiness depends upon your actions, not on my wishes for you. See if you can stay in touch with your caring and let go of thinking that you can control or protect from their suffering. 
or their life. There's a relief and release in that. You can really show up for them in a skillful way without the agenda. You might try that contraction that I, I offered. I honor your journey. I respect and honor your life's journey. Still, being in touch with your caring, but letting go of thinking you have control. I really care and wish the best for you. And I honor what you need to go through in this life. Feel the, the balance between those two between the caring heart and the heart that can let go. Just allow life to unfold. You are the owner of your karma, your happiness and unhappiness depends on your actions, not on my wishes for you. It connected to the caring, but uncouple it from the control. You can be rooting that person on, cheering them on, delighting in their successes, and allowing for their lessons to be learned as fully as they need and can be. If you can sense that centeredness that you create with this perspective, 
and how supportive that is for another person, your own centeredness. And then that other dimension of equanimity where you can call on that centeredness. Whatever you're feeling now, if you're, if you're stirred up or not stirred up or wherever you are, just invite, incline the mind, may I have balance in my life. Just inviting that. May I be centered as I go through my life. May I be centered right now. Not to force it, but just to invite it. May I develop equanimity and balance. Right now, in this moment, may I open to that. to balance right now in this moment. Okay, so before I say any any words um, you know, further on this topic, anything that might have come up from from that practice, that exercise. Anything over there? Oh, there's somebody else. Okay, we'll get two people. Or anything else that might have come up from the day? Um, I guess I was um, feeling a couple couple nights back. Uh, I kind of said some things that 
I upset a friend momentarily and um, I've been dealing with sort of like unconsciously, I guess, um, or emotionally like an outsized kind of guilt about it. Um, And I guess it's sort of like a cycle, like feel like a certain insecurity and then act out and like break, you know, the ethical precept um, of non-harming. Um, and then that feeds into like the shame and the insecurity. So like, um, I think like this is like whole day of like becoming more grounded and centered and secure just helps with that. Like it Mm. feeds into more ethical conduct because Mm. I feel like, you know, I'm not projecting, like I'm not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, well, that's, that's good to, to see, oh, this is where happiness lies, is being aligned. And just something to say uh, about that, you know, when you, when you start paying attention and, and, and are aligned with, with your values, you start seeing and remembering the ways that you're out of alignment with your values. And that can be humbling. Um, but I, I want to offer you that when you see that um, as difficult as it might be it's really it's really good news and valuable if you don't add on a whole lot of uh, guilt and, uh, and, and self-judgment and the Buddha talks about this in a very specific way to his son, he says, you know, you might not realize until after the deed is done or the words are spoken that you've done something that's, that's been harmful. He doesn't say, now go ahead and beat yourself up. Uh, that's not it. He says, okay, in that moment, realize what you've done, how it feels, and learn from it what's called wise remorse and then in that moment make a commitment to do it a different way if the circumstances arise again then there's nothing wasted as Julia Butterfly Hill one, uh, one of my inspirational teachers says as long as you're learning there's no mistakes and you can even dedicate your actions for the welfare of not only you, but the person that might have been on the receiving end of unskillful actions. May, may I share the merit with this, with this person. And then nothing is wasted. And so it's a continual practice of learning and waking up. When I, when I first did a, a loving-kindness retreat many years ago, and I I thought of all the awful things that I, you know, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, and one after another, all these awful things that I did when I was younger came to my mind. It was like, ooh, I can't believe I did that. Ooh, I did that too. Oh, no, oh. And then it occurred to me, oh, all of this cringing is really, it's a good sign. If I didn't cringe, if I said, okay, that's how people are. Oh, well, you know, maybe I'll do it the same way. Then it would be a problem. 
But if it's like, oh, no, I can't believe I did that. I was a different person than the one who did that 30 years before, 20 years before. So it's, it's a good sign as long as you keep on learning In, against the wall. So this was hard, the last one. And mm. there's a sense of, uh, sense of sadness mm. uh, that so much of my life is uh, uh, about making others happy. Yeah. And then to realize that it's, it's really not in my control uh, so all that I've been doing or consciously do on a daily basis, uh, it suddenly became out of my control. So it's, you're saying it's hard. It's hard. Okay, hold on here to keep, keep the microphone okay. for a moment. Yeah. It's hard. Yes. And now you see the, you see the truth of it, right? Is that... Uh, I'm not willing to see the truth yet. Uh, okay. Oh, well, then you can spend yes. the next 20 or 30 years <laughs> trying to control what's out of your control. If, uh, not, as you like. Not control, but <laughs> my role in other people's happiness. I don't want to distance myself from those I love to say, uh, it's all on you now because it's your actions. Uh, I say it to my seven, I mean, I teach seven-year-olds, and that's exactly what I say, you know. Uh, to what, when you're teaching? When I'm teaching, you know, it, it's all on you, <laughs> and they don't make any sense of it. Mm. Uh, but I just feel that uh, it, it's a process. It's good. This one's hard. Okay, so yeah. something just to clarify. Yes. And, and sometimes the words are, um, your happiness and unhappiness depends on your actions not solely on my wishes for you. That might be a... a that might be a little a, a easier to swallow. Yes. Okay. <laughs> then uh, I, I offer that word is, as a little balm for you. Uh, because it's true, we do have an effect yes. on people. Absolutely. So it's not to say, you know, all on you, see you later, good uh, luck. Because uh, uh. your love and your support and your uh, wise counsel can really have a huge effect on people. Yes. So it's not to deny that, yes. but it's to take away the idea that it's up to me and to, to make your life better. But don't stop having your input and your caring and your... And just... Partly, the wisdom is in teasing out what skillful support is mm -hmm. and what micromanaging is or what... Agitated control is. <laughs> agitated control, yeah. And, and you, you probably, you know, think about it. I, I often say this. If you're having a hard time, right? Yes. And somebody says, oh, Kobir... This is, it's so, it hurts me so to see you having such a hard time. What can we do to fix it? Oh, this is tearing me up. How does that feel? 
At that point, from them, how does it feel for you to hear that from them? Oh, this is really you know, killing me. I feel so bad for you. you no, know, I don't want the pity. No. no yeah. That, <laughs> then you got to take care of them, right? Yeah, I was I doing hard, bad enough as it is. Now I got to take care of you. <laughs> but if somebody says, "Oh, Kobir, you're going through a hard time. I just want you to know, I'm right here with you. I really care, and I'm here to support you in any way that." That's, that I can, but they're not taking it away or trying to rescue you, how does that feel? That feels good. That feels good. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's where the equanimity mm-hmm. comes in, mm-hmm. where you're, you're not going beyond what is yours to go beyond, but your centeredness is a gift to them. That's where the healing can be just in your presence, in your loving presence. That's what we're talking about. Thank you. Yeah. And the image that uh, I was going to say this in, in the uh, in I'll start talking now that that I I love right outside the 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 door. You probably saw that Kuan Yin. Hard to miss her, isn't it? You did. If you did miss her, then just. Uh, when you go outside, take a look. It's like, you know, six feet. Uh, and there she is. Kuan Yin, the, the, the embodiment of compassion in her relaxed repose. There she is seeing all the, the, the suffering and responding to all the cries of the world. And there she is, relaxed and at ease. That's the the real uh, archetypal embodiment of compassion held with equanimity. She's not tearing her hair out saying, oh, what do we do now? She's saying, oh yes, I'm here for you. I care. And that centeredness is a really um, profound healing presence. This is what we're talking about. Yes. One last. Oh. One last one, and then I'll talk some. We up front here. Raise your hand. What about turning it around and using it on yourself as a reminder for personal responsibility? Say a bit more. Um, just because... Take your time. But sometimes it's really easy to blame things on everybody else. Yeah. And I just think it's a very nice reminder that my karma's up to me. Yeah. You you see for yourself. Yeah, it's it's a, a really important thing that you're saying for all of us. Not not 
not just for you, for all of us. It's so easy to, or for some people, uh, for other people it's the last thing that they do, but for, but for so many, it's so easy to say, oh, if only they'd get their act together. And really, just in the same way that you don't have much control over over another person's happiness or unhappiness, you can have your input. But in the same way, your happiness or unhappiness is an inside job. Sylvia wrote a book, Happiness is an Inside Job. And your suffering and your happiness is an inside job. What is going on out there might be really difficult and trigger outrage and frustration um, and blame. But how we respond inside, this is up to us. What's happening out there is one thing. Our relationship to what's happening out there, if we're blaming, then we're really cutting ourselves off from empowering ourselves with wise action. And so uh, it's really important what you're saying. And have a lot of compassion for yourself in that as well. That's where the compassion doesn't, doesn't stop just when you realize, oh, it's not their fault. And then there's compassion for yourself as well. Oh, I'm going through a really hard time now. Oh, I'm really frustrated and outraged or hurt or uh, whatever I'm going through or sad or scared or whatever. And this is where compassion and equanimity for ourselves is, is called for. So it works just as, at least as important for ourselves as it is for others. Thank you. Okay, so um, this, this whole topic of equanimity, finding balance in your practice, finding balance during difficult times, having equanimity support wise response to whatever situations we're in. And as I said at the beginning, and I saw so many hands, these days there's a lot to be apprehensive about. So how to bring about equanimity to this situation? You know, it's not like you can just press a button and say, okay, I'll just be balanced and uh, you know, it'll all work out. That's, uh, that's kind of um, what's called the spiritual bypass. You know, sooner or later, things will work out. But um, equanimity, as I said, is engaged, is an engaged practice. Um, and so here's a, a few things uh, that I find important besides finding balance in your 
in your in your life or calling on it may i have balance in this moment may i have equanimity in this moment or noticing okay uh, this is how it is and and things change but uh there's a few other uh components and steps that i think are important for important to keep in mind first of all um you need to really i think honor and respect what's going on inside you can't just say okay uh it's cool you know whatever like we said before as your heart is breaking inside whether it's about personal situations or or uh, societal situations um the first step is that equanimity requires courage it requires the courage to be willing to feel whatever is going on inside because if you try to avoid it it's there anyway and the more you run from it the more it's got you there's a a beautiful poem i, I don't have it uh with me uh unconditional by jennifer wellwood she says uh um whatever i flee from pursues me whatever i welcome transforms me and is itself transformed into its radiant jewel-like essence and that's how practice works if you're feeling scared and you want to run away you can't run away the more you say get away fear the more it's got you have you noticed that's how it works if you're trying to run away from your fear or run away from your anger or your hurt it's just going to be following you but when you are willing to turn around and say okay this is what i'm feeling right now how can i meet it in a wise way then you have a possibility of having it help you wake up so the first step particularly when things are dicey out in the world or in your personal life is to be willing to feel all the feelings that are in there and like i said that takes courage it's the last thing we want to do oh do i really want to feel all of that outrage and and anger and fear and anxiety yeah but just a little at a time you don't want to do it in in massive doses that you get overwhelmed so part of wise equanimity wise courage is just knowing what you're capable of taking in at any time what i i call titrating our dukkha 
just a little at a time and letting yourself feel it. And then when it's a bit too much to step back and say, okay, let me just process what I'm, what I'm opening up to here. And part of that means to, um, to really uh, be willing to um, bring mindfulness to your experience. Uh, how many people, if you're aware of the RAIN acronym, raise your hand. Okay. So that RAIN, for those who don't know, that RAIN acronym is recognize, what am I feeling right now? Oh, this is fear. Allow or accept. Just give it permission instead of hoping it'll go away. Okay, this is here right now. Let, let, me, let me feel it. And giving it permission to be here so that you wake up and learn from it. Allow. Recognize. Allow. Investigate, which is letting yourself feel where and how you feel fear or whatever the feeling is. Oh, it's this, this tightness in my chest. It's this, my gut uh, contracting or my throat constricting or my heart pounding. Just this is the landscape of fear. Well, let's feel it. This is what it feels like in the body. This is what it feels like in the mind. Wow, it's intense. And then the N is non-identification, which is a fancy way of saying not taking it personally. It's just your, uh, this visitor that's come to see you, and here's fear. Sometimes to say, oh, here's scared Buddha, or here's confused Buddha, or here's freaked out Buddha, whatever. This is just what's happening right now. Okay, I don't have to define myself this way or think I'm the only one that's having it. Oh, this is what's happening right now. So just as a, a, a little uh, experiment with this, take a moment, go inside, and... Um, if you're feeling a particular feeling right now, then use that. If not, you might just uh, touch on something that stirs up some feelings for you. Just have something to work with. And then, if it's here, first recognize, what am I feeling right now? Oh, sadness or anger or whatever. Just name it. And then allow it to be here. Just a chance to become familiar with it in a wise way. Just for a few moments. Allow. Now, investigate. Just explore the landscape of this feeling. Where do you feel it? What's the sensations like? 
they stay the same or change? And then N, non-identify, not taking it personally. This is just part of being a human, part of the human experience. So this is letting yourself feel what's here, having the courage to feel it in small doses, just a little at a time. Okay, you can open your eyes. Hmm. So that's the first thing, having the courage to feel what you're feeling. Then also having uh, some skillful means when things get to be a lot, like compassion for yourself when you're finding you're, you're really um, having a hard time. And so I just want to share this uh, simple, mindful self-compassion break that uh, Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer have put together. They have a whole mindful self-compassion program. Because you don't want to overwhelm yourself in taking it in all at once. So try this, especially if you've gotten stirred up as I just did that. Okay, put your hand on your heart for a moment. And this right away calms the system down, releases some oxytocin and activates the parasympathetic nervous system. Just calming yourself down and feel that comforting right through your hand. And then they suggest phrases like this. Oh, this is, this is suffering. Or, this is hard. This is really hard right now. Just to acknowledge what's here. And then suffering is a part of life. And you might think of everyone who's going through what you're going through right now. Suffering is a part of life. This part of being human. And then, may I hold my suffering with kindness and compassion. Feel the comfort right through your hand. Let yourself receive it. This is suffering, this is hard. Suffering is a part of life. May I hold my suffering or my sorrow with kindness and compassion. Okay, you can open your eyes. So both of those are part of the the first step of just having the courage to feel what you feel. A little at a time. Louis, is it? It's getting kind of warm in here. Are people warm? It's stuffy? No. Okay. You're not going to fall asleep on me. So, after that, after 
feel or it's not a linear kind of a thing but for, but first it starts with feeling your feelings and then um what occurs to me what seems to help with equanimity it's kind of like what i was talking about that that uh that story about my son um is seeing the worst you are not hiding or afraid to look at what's so. There's a line I love from Charlotte Bronte. She says, to see and know the worst is to take from fear her main advantage. That is, if you say, okay, this can happen instead of, no, I don't want to look at it. No, 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 no. Just say, okay, this could happen. And to entertain that or to open that, not to frighten yourself, but just to see, okay, this is part of life too. The Buddha has a, 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 um, a practice that he suggests to do regularly called the five reflections. And he says, every day... He suggests you reflect to yourself, I will become old if you live long enough. I will become sick. I will die. Everything and everyone near and dear to me, I will be separated from. And I am the owner of my karma. My actions determine my happiness or unhappiness. He says, think about that every day. Not to bum yourself out or freak yourself out, but just seeing, okay, this is the story. And once you kind of come to terms with that, then you, then you can appreciate this moment and this day instead of thinking, oh, that... It'll never happen. No, that won't happen to me. You know, I'll, I'll just kind of hide and live in denial. No, but to, just to see the possibilities of the worst case scenario, not to dwell there, not to live there, but to just say, okay, that's, that's part of this scene. There's a kind of relief that comes from that. Saying, okay, that's, that's as bad as it gets. I'll either li- I'll live, I'll probably go on. So that's a second step. Courage to feel it all in small doses, maybe. Seeing the worst. And then third step, for me anyway, is letting go of knowing how you think it's going to turn out. Because you don't know. And that's where fear takes over when you say, I know what's going to happen now. I know what this is going to look like. I know what's going to happen in the next four years. I know what's, wherever it is, you don't know. You might have some idea of the possibilities, but Equanimity is seeing the much bigger view and seeing there is a natural cycle to things 
And if you look at a very narrow slice in time, you can freak yourself out. But if you see there is a natural unfolding happening here, for instance, taking um, the world situation, as, as one friend uh, says, we're in a race between fear and consciousness. I love that line and I use it a lot. We are in a race between fear and consciousness. And there's never been as much possibility of self-destruction and as there's ever been. It's clearly a possibility. And there's never been as much consciousness as, there's ever, as there is right now. Never in this, on this planet. So we don't know. And all we can do is the best we can without coming to any conclusions. Because the shadow brings out the light, and the light brings out the shadow, and the shadow brings out the light, and it keeps on going like that. And maybe you've seen in the, in the last month or so, uh, I've been noticing how much um, galvanizing of conscious energy there, there has been in recent times. So you don't know. So to let go of thinking you have the answers and drawing your conclusions and then just kind of seeing what, how things turn out. And that leads particularly in this, in this bigger scale, to what I call wise engagement. That coming from that place of equanimity that sees the possibilities and that finds a center in the middle of it, then your compassion is held with that wisdom and centeredness. And that is uh, a tremendous gift when you can act from a place of centeredness and balance and, uh, as Julia Butterfly Hill says, a joyful responsibility to do your part. That's very magnetizing. That's very... You want to be part of a conscious movement. So this is where wise engagement comes from an equanimity, a strength. And it's contagious. And maybe you've seen, for me, uh, climate change has been a, 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 a very uh, important issue. And one example, just in the last, last week or so, uh, this... Um, this Dakota Access Pipeline, the the courage and the integrity and the alignment of those water protectors who just said, we're not going to let this happen. We're going to do what we can. And their own standing in truth, their alignment with truth, there's a uh, Gandhi called it the truth force 
satyagraha, where you're so aligned in truth that um, there is a fearlessness that comes. And their own fearlessness also attracted 2,000 veterans to say, we're going to be with you. We are so moved by your commitment and your alignment in truth, we're going to lock hands and protect you. And what happened after that? Things changed. There was enough of a courageous standing in truth that um, the government said, okay, well, we're going to rethink this now. So you don't know. And the same is true on a personal level. You don't know how things are going to turn out. But when you're lost in fear, all you do is keep on creating the worst case scenario. And that keeps you from responding as wisely as you can. But when you see, okay, I'm going to just live in my truth and do the best I can, and then be... Uh, um, have as wise a response as I can, then you're aligned at least with a positive energy. So this is where equanimity is not only finding balance, but there's a, there's a real power in equanimity. That's the beauty of it. It's not just a passive, okay, I'll be here and accept whatever comes. It's, no, I will be here and be so connected with my truth that my response will come from a courageous, effective, powerful response. So I think that the Dharma and practice which cultivates equanimity is probably one of the most important um, offerings to, um, to engagement. It's very different than coming from a place of anger or fear or despair to see, okay, this is what needs to happen and I will just show up from that place of centeredness that's where the real power is. That's, where, that's what wise engagement is. And that's why the Dharma has so much to offer in these times. And just your own practice and your own centeredness becomes contagious for others. Okay. Maybe I'll, I'll stop here and see any comments, anything that uh, might have might be coming up from from the day when we close. So when we started, um, you observed that equanimity was at the end of every list in the last chapter in every book, etc. Right. Why do you think that is? Because it's the culmination of a wise heart. 
because because it holds everything else and is the like I said at the beginning the precursor for the awakened heart for instance in the um in the the different levels of happiness okay uh there's bliss and rapture is the first level which seems like that's the ultimate goal but after bliss and rapture comes happiness a little bit a little bit turned toned down a little bit and then there's contentment and then there's the peace of equanimity and as the buddha said more and more refined you are uh, closer to the awakened heart so it takes some development you know loving kindness might come easy or compassion might might come easy equanimity uh needs to be developed and it's the thing that holds everything uh and in the stages of awakening it is the it is the last um quality of heart just before uh, enlightenment happens it's just giving it that place of real respect and and um uh power in that uh the mind and the heart that can open with equanimity can handle most anything um thinking back to your recounting the meditation experience and reflecting on your son's life and mm. the difficulty of you know seeing this this too this too I find a a daily um equanimity practice or challenge thereto is looking through the international national and local news the um, international uh the news the news the news yeah um to oh, that. S- to see um uh the sexual violence the murders the international uh you know intrigues manipulation right uh more recently protests and uh etc yeah. etc yeah and uh to just take that in as the truth of humanity or you know a partial truth as part, part of, of the of, truth of part humanity. of the truth that's the, of, that's the key of we humans who yes. are sometimes uh motivated by fear, greed, anger, delusion, yeah. all of that and right. to just recognize that. Yeah. Um and try to take it in. That's all. Yeah, I completely agree. But don't don't stop there. And know how much you can take in. Know know the dose that's that's going to be a healthy dose. that gets you connected but not overwhelmed and don't forget that what you're seeing particularly in media in news let alone fake news um is one small part of the spectrum of the human experience because a neighbor being nice to another neighbor is not going to get a news story and that happens all the time and so you have to kind of see it in that bigger context uh 
yes, there is greed, hatred, and delusion, and fear, and all kinds of, of things that we need to wake up to. And there is a huge, massive um, amount of goodness and kindness and caring in this world. And so that's where you need to open up the lens and, and have that be held in, uh, uh, in an inspiring way. Okay, so uh, we we should uh, end because uh, there's going to be an event here uh, this evening. So let's just uh, close for a few moments. Um, I I didn't uh, I didn't get to share. There's a, but I'll I'll do it in the closing. There's a, a prophecy of the. The Shambhala prophecy from 1,200 years—it's 1,200 years old—where there will be a time when uh, the earth is facing great destruction uh, out of the greed and hatred um, and weapons that uh, that humans are uh, creating, and in this very fragile time comes uh, the, the kingdom of Shambhala and the Shambhala warrior in all of us that uh, is brought forth from out of that um, uh, turbulence and turmoil. It's a beautiful prophecy. Joanna Macy has it in, in her books, uh, Coming Back to Life and Act of Hope. This is a these are two really great books for um, uh, engagement, wise engagement. Here's Joanna Macy's Act of Hope. It's in the bookstore. And another book that's in the, in the bookstore, The Hope by Andrew Harvey, A Guide to Sacred Activism. Uh, but in Joanna's book, Act of Hope, and also coming back to life, she has the Shambhala prophecy. And... Uh, this is the time that the Shambhala warrior arises in all of us. A warrior who cares deeply and is coming from deep insight and equanimity. So just as we close, I'd like you to go inside and connect. And whatever it is, as Andrew Harvey says, follow your heartbreak. Whatever it is where your, your heart is breaking or concerned about the world or about those in your life, see if you can get in touch with the warrior within. How can you, from that place of caring and equanimity make a difference in the world. Not to save it all by yourself, that's too much, but to just contribute from a place of caring and centeredness. If you're coming here to Spirit Rock 
on a day like this? Chances are there's a warrior within that wants to express herself or himself. How can you see that being expressed in your life? Coming from a place of centeredness and equanimity and caring. taking the practices that we work with today of seeing things as they are, being here for the ups and downs and change, having the courage to open to everything that's inside and engage wisely in the world. Yourself be inspired by what touches you. And then dedicating the merit from our day. May any good that we created here together um, individually and collectively may it be shared with all beings for the benefit of all may there be more kindness more wisdom happiness and peace in this world beings know true freedom and inner peace. Okay. <clears throat> nice to spend the day with you. Go forth and share your balanced, caring heart with the world. <laughs> Thank you.